When I was a kid, I fell in love with the Pokemon franchise, the game, the cards, the toys. That's Veronica Saren, product marketing manager for Pokemon Go. If you've never actually played a Pokemon video game, it's basically an open world where you travel around, catch creatures who have different powers and personalities, then train them to compete in battles with other players. Pokemon is also the highest grossing media franchise of all time. Pokemon Go, the augmented reality version of Pokemon, lets you point your phone at the real world and interact with creatures in your own physical surroundings. As a lifelong fan, Veronica explained to me why Pokemon is still so compelling even 24 years after it was first released. The game itself is very much an every man, every woman, every person story. So everyone in the Pokemon world becomes the hero of their own story, exploring the world and growing their team, growing their bond with their Pokemon, with their friends. Sometimes that means seeing themselves as a trainer in the game. But in Veronica's case, it also means finding unexpected connections with other players. I remember when I was a kid, there was this one moment where you had to walk around the world to hatch an egg. A faster way to hatch this Pokemon and get it in your collection was to use a bike item and bike around the world so that you could walk faster and hatch the egg faster since that's the mechanic. Fast forward many years later, I was walking in the park when Pokemon Go first launched and I saw this guy on his bike clearly hatching an egg because he had his Pokemon Go app in his pocket and he had the battery plugged in and he was biking around safely. He wasn't looking at his phone, but I remember seeing that and I'm playing Pokemon Go and all these people are playing around me and I see this guy on his bike and it took me back to when I was nine and I just loved it. This is Networked, the 5G future, a podcast from Verizon and T-Brand at the New York Times. I'm Christina Warren. As a reporter and analyst, I've spent years covering how technology changes the way we work, play, and connect online. Throughout the series, I'm learning how this new generation of wireless technology could pave the way for some major advances in every part of our lives, from education to healthcare to sports. In this episode, I'll talk with experts in the gaming industry about why online and mobile games are more socially important now than ever. Then I'll talk to the CEO of a competitive esports organization who partnered with Verizon to launch the world's first 5G powered esports training facility. To understand how the growth of 5G will expand access to advanced multiplayer games, there's no better place to start than Pokemon Go, which pioneered augmented reality mobile gaming and showcased the power of a broadband network. Today, the game has to support millions of monthly active players while introducing new features to the virtual world that those players share 24-7. Here's Veronica Saren from Niantic, the company that makes Pokemon Go. Technology is where you have to play in the sandbox. All of those new technology bits and pieces that are coming out are the building blocks for new exciting gameplay. When Pokemon Go first came out, when AR was just starting to make its way into mobile gaming. That's what made Pokemon Go stand out. It was a new visual experience. It was a totally new type of gameplay for people. And our goal at Niantic is to keep looking at what's possible and building upon that when it comes to cutting edge technology. 
But Pokemon Go is also built on social features, like adding friends and giving each other gifts so that players bring more and more of their own lives into the world of the game. If I were to boil it down to one thing, it's the connections that players have with their friends and family members that keeps them coming back. And so trading, social features, raiding, player versus player battling. There's all these things that we've been doing that have leveraged cutting edge technology. But then you combine that with real world social, which is what Niantic is all about. And you get this game that's not just a game. In a time like now, it's that much more important for people to feel connected, not only to each other in their immediate circles, but to a global community. That community includes the annual Pokemon Go Fest. In 2020, the festival took place entirely online. But in past years, hundreds of thousands of superfans gathered in GoFest cities for one-day-only challenges and special in-game events. Also, it's where some of the most passionate Pokemon trainers pop the question. There are always Pokemon Go marriages that happen. Usually it's folks who meet in a given trainer community or they, they meet through the game and then the opportune time to propose would be at a GoFest. And so that... That has definitely surprised me, and it's very much a delight. Hosting tens or even hundreds of thousands of players in one park shows how important a reliable connection can be to bringing an online community together in person. Niantic is up for that challenge, not just because they've built an augmented reality world, but because they get how much Pokemon fans want to be a part of it. There was a moment at... The 2019 Pokemon Go Fest in Chicago, where there's just a sea of trainers who are coming out to enjoy this experience that our teams work so hard to put together and are all excited about. Very cheesy, but for some reason that really touched me, especially because when I looked up at the Chicago skyline, there was a building there that I used to work in when I was a management consultant. It was very poignant for me to look back on like, wow, I really get to work on something now that I'm extremely passionate about. And in my previous life, I may not have been able to imagine that. The fact that GoFest moved online this year shows how gaming communities have persisted, continuing to connect across physical boundaries from wherever they are. People are playing more. People are playing for longer periods of time. People are playing new, different types of games, and people are watching more. That's Candace Mudrick, head of market analysis at Nuzu, a gaming strategy and analytics firm based in Amsterdam. So basically every aspect that you can think of, games has increased. And a reason for that is because games are no longer just entertainment, but they are a form of social media. They are where people go to connect with each other, to, to hang out together in a virtual space, um, and they are, are, they are a way that we can remain still connected despite being socially distanced. I called Candace to learn more about how the gaming industry has adapted to everything that's happened this year and hear about recent research she's done on how 5G will shape the future of mobile gaming. Also, to be honest, I really wanted to meet someone whose unofficial job title is Gaming Nerd in Chief. I know it's it's funny because it's hard to tell people that this is actually a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm thankful that, you know, my yeah. my parents let me play games when I was younger. I actually wrote my thesis on Super Mario Brothers 3 in college. <laughs> yeah, which, which, which it was... That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even then, it was kind of one of those things where my parents were like... 
I don't know if that's a thing. And now I'm going to be able to point <laughs> them to Candace. Like, she's like nerd in chief. And this is a very big business. This is a very real thing. And that actually brings me to my next question, which is how have games uh, evolved along with each new major expansion of tech capabilities? Games have always been sort of pushing the boundaries of technology in terms of demonstrating what hardware can really do. The biggest jump that we've seen, especially in mobile with 4G, has been the introduction of online multiplayer games. So with 2G and with 3G, the internet wasn't fast enough or it wasn't your connection wasn't stable enough a lot of times to actually have a, a live online experience where you're playing live with somebody else. But with 4G approaching fixed broadband in terms of bandwidth and latency, what we see is that the competitive games, the games that require you know, fast reaction times, the games that you're playing against other people, either in, in shooters or, or fighting games, etc., these games have uh, become more popular as a result of online connectivity enabled by 4G and, uh, and faster broadband. What is the true difference between a game that's designed for 4G and a game that's designed for 5G? I think a game designed for 4G versus a game designed for 5G, it's less about the immediate game design, at least for me. It's about what it unlocks from a technology and platform standpoint. So with 5G, you are really enabling uh, cloud gaming. So you're no longer limited to the power of your graphics processor or your CPU. You are now limited to the cloud, which is more or less essentially kind of unlimited in many situations. So effectively what you're doing is you are decoupling your gaming experience from the device in your hand. And when you do that, you can use 10 GPUs instead of one, for example. Uh, you can also increase the interactivity with other services. Can you think of any games that you're a fan of where you can imagine like what kind of new experiences the game could grow into through 5G? In my opinion, the best games that are going to be uh, unlocked by 5G are going to be cloud native games that we haven't seen yet. Right. But You'll also see that the market will bring more multiplayer and more competitive games to the forefront. You are going to also have new groups of people who have never really been able to be at that competitive level before because let's say they haven't had fixed broadband. And now with 5G, more people are going to come into the ecosystem. The games are going to be more complex and there's going to be a greater emphasis on interactivity between players. And you could even have, for example, streamed AR or streamed VR. So that could also be a possibility. And there will also be more interactive experiences between streamers and viewers. Okay, so let's talk about esports. As a fan, what do you like about it? The same things that I think people like about just sports in general. I really like the storylines. I love seeing the underdogs win. I know just how hard it is to do what these pro players are doing at the top of, of their, their level. It's actually insane how many you know actions per minute that, that they're doing where it, my brain can barely even keep up. You as the audience, you know what's going on. You know, you know kind of both sides of the story, but... Is this anticipation for the exciting moments in the game. There's also the live aspect, right? So I have been to esports events and the feeling that you get being in a crowd is the same as, as with other sports games. It's the, the camaraderie, it's the excitement, it's the feeling of like being on a, rooting for a team. And as a fan, like what would you like to see maybe in the live events or even observing the events, you know, online? Is there something that you would like to see it evolve or do you have predictions for how it might be evolving? There is something I really want to have happen, but I know that we're still really far away from yeah, having I this mean, happen. I mean, tell me. Maybe maybe 5G can enable this poss possibility with like streamed immersive VR, but I oh. think that because it's a virtual game and a virtual event, 
being able to spectate from inside of the game could be really cool. Like you're not just watching League of Legends from top down, you're on the grounds. You're actually in that virtual world. Like imagine that virtual stadium yeah, or, or you being inside of the game while it's going on, I think is a really cool idea. No, that's a great idea. And that would be something that would like completely differentiate, I think, being a spectator of an esport because you you don't have that experience if you're at like a baseball game or, or a football game or something, right? Like right. There, there's not going to be a way for you to actually be like on the field. field. Yeah, exactly. There's already some interactivity going on, which I think is an advantage of esports over traditional sports what you're cheering or what you're doing can actually influence the course of the game. Uh, but if you take that to its logical conclusion or the extension of it is, is you being literally inside of, of the game fully immersed. Candice, it was so great talking with you. And um, hopefully I'll, I'll see you like online. Maybe we can play a game or something. Absolutely. I would love that. Fall Guys. Yes. Let's play Fall Let's Guys. Play Fall Guys. <laughs> While online games have become more and more a part of everyday life, competitive gaming and real-time, fully immersive games are still considered a niche industry. But the creation of a fully available 5G network can change more than just the types of games we play. It could also change who gets to play, whether that's at home, with friends, or at the highest levels of professional esports competition. That's after the break. Verizon 5G Edge is the world's first mobile edge computing platform with AWS Wavelength, and it's rolling out in select cities around the country. It's built right, so faster speed and ultra-low latency now come to mobile and connected devices, paving the way for a wide range of transformative applications. The implications for rapid innovation are staggering, and now businesses and developers can harness its power, today and into the future. Verizon 5G Edge is here from the network businesses rely on. Welcome back to Networked, the 5G future. I'm Christina Warren. Talking to Veronica from Pokemon Go and Candice from Nuzu got me excited for how some of my favorite mobile games could reach their full potential on a 5G network. But the pinnacle of real-time multiplayer gaming is esports. So how can the lower latency and higher bandwidth of Verizon 5G ultra-wideband help competitors in this field? To find out, I called Michael Prindyville. He's the CEO of Dignitas, an esports organization that trains professional teams for matches across the world. Dignitas also partnered with Verizon to build a first-of-its-kind 5G-powered esports training facility in Los Angeles, where they keep teams at the top of their game and help players engage with their fans. Michael was actually at the facility on the day COVID put the traditional sports industry on pause. I still remember the day that the that the NBA shuttered, right? And there was a split second where, you know, I had my, my board calling me, an ownership group calling me, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm saying, like we're good. Like this is a digital first space. Like the games are going to go on. And so that speaks volumes to, to the future of, of, of this competition. Michael actually came to Dignitas from NBC Sports. So he's the perfect person to ask about the different paths that pro players are taking in these two worlds. Since not everyone's familiar with the basics of esports, I asked him to break down what it's like to compete in these high-stakes competitive games, starting with the similarities to a traditional sports career. So you've got players, right? And they're playing in different positions. Uh, you've got team communications. You've got 
injuries that players sustain, uh, things like sports science and, and, and a data-driven approach with analysts on every team all exist, as does the obvious, right, which is just extensive training, right? In order to to become a professional gamer, you have to put in those those 10,000 hours plus, right? And and for a lot of these guys who are at the highest you know level, it's, it's seven days a week, either playing in actual competitive matches or training for anywhere from, you know, eight to 15 hours a day. I haven't ever been to an in-person esports competition, but I have definitely tuned in to watch some of the live streams. What struck me was how similar it is in many respects to watching traditional sports. So explain to me how do players practice and interact and get training and coaching? Because you mentioned all those things that are similar to traditional sports. So how does a competitive gaming team work? Effectively, uh, the team is made up of the players, which you recruit just like you would in in traditional sports, which you sign to contracts just like you would in traditional sports. Um, They remain on those contracts and they compete under them. Uh, And you obviously bring in a coach and analysts or multiple coaches and multiple analysts. Then they train, right? And so every day they come into an office just like uh, you and I do. (laughs) And they literally have scrims or scrim sessions, scrimmages against other teams uh, that are in the area. And then they have review sessions. They review the tape. They figure out what went right, what went wrong, how to improve. And, you know, those those days go long. You know, they can go till 7, 8 o'clock at night. But in the ideal world, the players live close to a facility. They come in and they have that type of day. And then they compete on Saturdays and Sundays. So what's the single biggest challenge in your work today? There are a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, so let me start with, yeah, that with the business side, right? So really, I mean, esports is young, it's evolving, and, and it's it really comes down to just ensuring that we have a sustainable business model for, for teams in particular, right? So, you know, player burnout is something that's, you know, just inherent to esports that's, that's always very troubling. It's a 360 five-day-a-year job, right? And so we want our players to be healthy, right? And so Verizon and other partners and, and other teams, like we're, this is probably the main issue that we're, we're trying to cure for. And what are your biggest technical challenges? You need a top-of-the-line PC, right, to ensure uh, an equal playing field and to make sure uh, that our, our, our players have the best chance of being successful. And let's talk a little bit more about the role that connectivity plays in esports, because, I mean, I'm thinking that like latency has to be like the enemy, right? Because that can make the difference between winning and losing. Yes. I mean, you have certain teams that are living in remote locations. So so the loss of connection in an instance like that yeah. is, ga- is game over for your team, right? And so the ability to completely eliminate that risk is you know, is, is a total game changer for our, for our organization. What are some of the challenges that you think, like more specifically, that 5G can help solve? One of the inherent issues within gaming and esports is that the highest end of gaming and esports takes place on a PC. Those PCs are incredibly expensive rigs to put together. And, you know, from a socioeconomic perspective, it, it simply prices people out, right? Cloud computing means that you can use an expensive rig right, without actually having to own that rig. So you could take your phone, you can connect to the cloud, and it allows you to run like a 
PC level game on your phone, or you could do that from your same, you know, kind of run of the mill laptop. Makes total sense. And it also sounds like that could create some untapped potential in terms of recruiting talented players that you might not otherwise have the chance to play and their potential might not be unlocked. 100%. I mean, they talk about this all the time in traditional sports and the same thing goes in esports, which is you want to have access to the the widest, the biggest possible talent pool and the best possible talent. In the current world, right? Like you can play go- games on your on your mobile phone and most people have a mobile phone, that's great. You could play games on console. Now, that can get a little bit expensive, right? Consoles 3, 4, 500 bucks, a couple controllers, games. Not everybody has that access. But those who do, there's a realm of competition that exists within console games, right? But to make that jump from, you know, a $500 console to a a $5,000 PC, like that's a world that is such a big jump that those people playing on the console don't even know that that PC world exists. But if they did, and if they could get to it, they probably would want to compete, right? They'd probably want to continue their journey and their progress within gaming. And that's how cloud gaming is really going to close the gap on, on the socioeconomic limits that we currently see. Well, speaking of how you get to that higher level of competition, can you maybe talk to me a little bit more about how your teams use the Verizon 5G lab? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. It's in Playa Vista, which is, uh, you know, Silicon Beach, Los Angeles, our home. Uh, and it was built really with the intention of of trying to provide DIG with the, the best resources, the most innovative resources to, to compete at the highest level. It's about uh, an 8,000 square foot space, and it has three training rooms. We have one for our our top-level League of Legends team, our LCS team. We have an academy training room as well. Uh, And then we have a a third-party sort of boot camp room when a visiting team of ours is in LA and they want to go through like a two-week boot camp process. We can accommodate them as well. We also have a content studio here. We have streaming pods for players. They can live stream uh, with far better internet than what they have at home. We've got a a pretty unique... uh, tunnel style entrance. You kind of go in and there's a big Dignitas logo. And as you walk through the tunnel, it it lights up yellow, which is one of our colors as you walk through. And then finally, it has all the the 5G capabilities uh, and resources to help us stay connected internally with our community. Okay. So as those 5G capabilities really start to mature, then what kind of new esports experiences are you looking forward to? I think it really comes down to, to VR and AR, right? And from the VR side... I think in in virtual reality, what we're going to see is we're going to see an opportunity here to to kind of develop a new breed, a new a new athlete, right? Who's almost going to be some type of uh, a blend of an esports athlete and a traditional sports athlete. So um, we could see a, a, a virtual reality experience where you're using your arms, your hands, and your body to sort of explore and interact and compete in that digital world around you, and you you can look down the road and you can see like. Wow, the, the possibilities are are kind of mind bending when it when it goes to VR. With AR, I think it's it's a little bit more about projections and, and immersion, right? So, um, the idea of being in a massive stadium. So uh, you're in you know Giant Stadium or Yankee Stadium, right? And suddenly, like, could we hold an esports event in Yankee Stadium where there's there's this massive massive physical space in the field, and there's a projection of the game and the competition onto that space, and actually like an audience can sit there and kind of actually on the field and watch the projection around them. These are these are the type of things that I'm kind of excited about and hoping to see in the future. Whether you're out in the park tracking a rare Pokemon, jumping on a live stream to watch the latest showdown in a League of Legends tournament, or training to become one of the best players in that tournament, 
you're part of a major transition that's just getting started. Verizon 5G Ultra Wideband can help level the playing field and unleash entirely new experiences in virtual reality, augmented reality, and multiplayer gaming. All of that will open up new worlds that are even easier to make your own. On the next episode of Networks, I'll learn how doctors are using a new app powered by Verizon 5G to screen patients for cancer. And I'll meet the experts who are leading the way on telehealth. In order to fully realize all the opportunities and cost savings that telehealth can bring to us as a society, we need to decide to make the investment into the infrastructure that's required that everyone can come on. That's next time on Networked, the 5G future by Verizon and T-Brand at The New York Times. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about how innovators are exploring how to harness the power of Verizon 5G, check out the new documentary Speed of Thought on Amazon Prime Video or speedofthoughtfilm.com. I'm Christina Warren. See you next time. Verizon just turned on 5G across the country with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband, the fastest 5G in the world. 5G ultra-wideband is so fast, you can download an album in seconds. Verizon 5G won't just change how your phone works, it will change everything. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Global claim based on open signal independent analysis during the period January 31st through April 30th, 2020.